Hello there and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Shelat and I'm delighted to say I've been joined finally in the new year by Alex Barker. How are you Alex? I'm doing very good. Happy New Year. I'm happy to be back on this podcast. You sound very very um enthusiastic indeed. Whoa! Great to have you on. <laughs> yeah. And also I'm delighted to say Varun Vasudevan is back as well. How are you, Varun? I'm good. I mean, it's been a long while since the three of us met, almost a month. So kind of missed you guys. But yeah, I have been following you guys on Twitter. I mean, Neil's doing a great job on the Afcon and Asian Cup, and um, Alex is doing a great job on the top leagues. Which is now that I think about it, just a lot of Chelsea and Pochettino bashing, but. Uh, <laughs> Oh, well, whatever actually, it is, it's good. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up, Aaron, because I thought I, what, before we get into it today, I think it's relevant that I, I haven't spoken to you guys about this. I have uh, changed the way I analyse games. I, I feel Ooh. like you'd be interested. Happy New Year. New Year, new Alex. New yeah, Alex. And I, I feel like people will be listening might be interested. So before, uh, for the past three years, in a bid, where I guess this is more like trying to find as many players as possible who can move to the Premier League. I would just watch as many games that are on as possible, whatever's on, right? So, you know, t- today it could be like Lazio at 12. Then I'll go, oh, I'll watch a bit of Lille at t- uh, 2 o'clock. Um, maybe watch the Premier League at 4, but but maybe I'll go Cadiz v Valencia or Cadiz v Valencia. Uh, then we've got, you know, Gladbach v Stuttgart in the evening. Like that, Basically like that. And what I've found over like the past year or so is while you can find a lot of players doing that, uh, I've struggled to elevate my game tactically and watch games like try and spot patterns because if you're going from one team to another, it's sort of really hard to keep track of what they're doing, what to expect, why what they're doing this game might be different to the last game. So this year, uh, I've abandoned my old approach, and what I'm doing is I'm picking a rotational basis of five teams that I'm going to build scout reports on by watching for five nineties. Um, in like by being able to pause and go back, so like really extensively watching. Ah, okay. and, uh, I think I got it. Yeah, what's happened if of... you've got Vice Scout access? No, I haven't. Actually. <laughs> uh, I use a different software, um, okay. which is often recording the games on my TiVo box, and they're just going. Ah, back. Okay, fair enough. Um, so yes, yeah, so it, it is still very manual. Don't you worry. I've not. I've not joined the rich kids. Uh, I mean, but this one really... of those. Yeah, go, go on. on. Sorry. I, mean, I was going to say this is really interesting because I remember around two years ago when I started the Devils DNA, I was doing something similar. I was just like covering all the top five leagues, every wonder kid that came up, whether it was from Sociedad or Sporting or Benfica. And I was kind of all over the place. And I spoke to you, Alex, and I asked you for advice on, hey, you know, how do I get better? And you were like, you know, you're kind of all over the place. So why don't you just, you know, narrow down your focus and go deeper in your analysis instead of just a surface level thing. And since then, I've been sticking to United, obviously, and just a few Premier League teams or three, four teams that are of interest to me, like a Brighton or a Bologna or someone like that. And I have tried to go a little deeper, you know, okay, build up patterns or pressing patterns or, you know, those variations. So you kind of gave me this advice, Alex. So great to see you taking it yourself. has become the master which about you time <laughs> and uh well and that, that rounds up quite nicely today because one oh, of yes, the indeed i've been watching oh my alarm is going off one of the teams i've been watching uh this year has been bologna and i hope you'll see the depth i'm able to provide today uh, i think 
is a lot more to be enabled to whenever I've been in this podcast before. Well, Alex is marketing Alex 3.0, <laughs> Depth Alex. So let's go for depth it. Depth Alex. I'm not sure I like that one. <laughs> oh, okay, well, lovely introduction, guys. Thank you very much. Um, let's get into it. As you say, we'll be talking about um, Bologna today. As always, a bit of background. Um, of uh, I think our, obviously our main focus is going to be, I mean, obviously Bologna is part of it, but Thiago Motta, their coach, is sort of the, the bigger story. But well, it's of course always worth um, understanding what sort of club we're talking about as well. So as if we look at sort of Bologna's recent history, they've been like a lower mid-table Serie A team, I'd say, for the last well, six, seven years or something. Um, last season, they finished ninth, I think, which was their first top half finish since promotion. So they'd gone down uh, in 2014, uh, won the playoffs and come straight back up. And then it's, I mean, you look at their finishes, it's like 14th, 15th, 15th, 10th, 12th, 12th, 13th, and 9th. Um, so, yeah, very much a sort of, a, 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 by, by the time uh, Motta took over, very much a, a fairly established, but definitely like a lower mid-table type of club. Um, so what he's doing with them in terms of getting them to challenge for Europe is a fantastic achievement. Historically, they do have some pedigree. They have, I believe, seven Serie A titles to their name, uh, mostly pre-World War II, one in 1964 as well. And around that time, they also won a couple of Coppa Italias. But yeah, recently, they, I mean, definitely not challenging for titles. Um, And as I say, a lower mid-table club um, before Motta took over. So that's a bit of background about Bologna. Now let's get on to uh, Thiago Motta. Quick, um, let, let's have a bit of fun, guys. Quick question for you. Where, I, I want the city, of course. Uh, where was Tiago Mata born? Udine. I have no idea. I'm just going to pass. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, okay, well, I, I say city, but I, I'd have taken the state. But the state is Sao Paulo. Ooh. I've got mixed up with another Italian coach. Yeah, and so he actually represented uh, Brazil at the youth level and made... Two appearances for the senior national team at the CONCACAF Gold Cup, I believe. Um, but that was not... Uh, I, I don't know if that was... I, I don't know what happened. But basically, after that, he switched to Italy. Um, so that is a fun fact I found about him. And he was a, he was a pretty good player. Um, do, do, do you guys want to list the clubs he's played for? Do you want to guess? There are one, two, three, four, five senior clubs he played for. You should get... Marin's a, a little older, isn't it? So I think he he'll get them. I, the only genuinely the only one I can name is PSG. Um, Barcelona, yep. um, Inter Milan, and PSG. These yep. three I'm sure of because he spent yeah, a lot of ones. time. Big ones. He had these one one or two year stints between. See, Barcelona was the early one because I think he came through Barcelona youth as well. Yep, he and did. yeah, and then he was there for like. Four five years at least. Yeah. Uh then he struggled. Then he, oh, wait, he wait, had wait. a Genoa, okay. Genoa. Then That's Genoa, right. Inter but, Milan, PSG. Is that it? No, there's one between Barcelona and Genoa. I mean, he's only made six appearances for them, so I, 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 I no mean, idea. I, it's very tough to get. But I'll give you a clue. It's a it's a very well known Spanish team. Mm. Take a guess. Valencia. From- yeah, I mean, is it Villarreal or Valencia? Did he go there? It's just... Atletico Madrid. Uh, oh. In 2007. I didn't know that. <laughs> he signed a one-year contract and he got injured. 
so he made like six appearances yeah. and then he was off to genoa but yeah um tiago mata pretty good player as you can imagine um from from that sort of career history he was correct me if i'm wrong but a sort of a, a deeper midfielder would i be right in saying that um and yeah that's obviously interesting because we see i guess that's the position which makes most managers um so that's that's one thing and then he started coaching i'm basically immediately after retiring so he retired in 2018 from psg uh started coaching there under 19s and then his senior jobs have all been in italy he was at genoa his former club of course uh then he spent about a year at spezia and then he joined bologna in what was it 2022 yeah he he joined um i like not at the start of the season but like one month into the season because they sacked the manager almost immediately they were 13th when he joined mid season yeah. yeah so that is a bit of background on mata i think varun you had something to say about his um, sort of uh, like style of play and ideas so take it away yeah i mean we all heard that very famous uh, 272 idea of his which has since then been debunked because he didn't mean that vertically he meant it horizontally and largely what he meant was a 433 um so that's kind of how he wants to play and that's how we've seen him uh, coach as well very attack minded but also very good out of possession and kind of flexible to adapt as well and there was this uh, present, uh, presentation he made bologna in 21 22 in his interview i think he said that his first aim is to implement a clear identity as fast as possible in order to win games i mean that's how important he believes in establishing it's not getting a win it's not mid season settling and just getting some points even mid season even when bologna were in trouble um his pitch was i want to establish a clear identity the rules that i have in possession the patterns the out of possession stuff i want to establish that very quickly and that's how we'll win games faster so it just shows you he's one of those uh, managers who's who has a very clear idea in mind very clear vision and everything uh, starts from there and yeah i mean he, there are differences between his stints if you see even spezia versus bologna um a lot of it which he himself has said there is a player quality difference there are just some things you can't do with spezia and he is able to do with bologna and he seems like the kind of manager who depending if he gets uh, i mean i guess most managers are like that if he gets better players in a better team he'll be able to do better things but spezia did struggle with a lot of the things that mota wanted like playing out of the back and the rotations and bologna are much better at that so definitely has a lot of vision has a lot of strong ideas of what to do in possession uh, sometimes limited by the teams and the players he has but he's definitely an identity first manager yep and so i guess with that background let's dive straight into what bologna are doing um, right now this season under mata we've got alex 3.0 as as you announced so alex why don't you tell us what you've seen from them tactically Yeah, I think a good introduction to this would be it, so we're going to talk about the first phase here which I think is the most eye-catching bit of Bologna. I think it's the best the most polished part of Bologna's tactics. And what I find interesting about them is that 
they and uh, the caveat is this is based off recent games um that I've watched so the last three games that I've basically go really deeply in depth. And I've come earlier in the season, but this is what my main analysis is based on. Uh, one Walter's famous that two seven two thing. I kind of disagree with one of the notes we've got. From what I found, he just religiously wants to keep a two three shape, a vertical one, a two three um shape building out from the back. It's just how those players it's which players fill those lines is what's so interesting. So typically like to build a picture, when Bologna start off the ball from the back of the goalkeeper, uh they'll have both centre backs either side, usually uh Bukema and Calafiori. And then you've got Posh the right back, and then you have uh Freuler dropping deep as the six, and then you've got the left back who's changed I think like quite a lot um on the far side. And then as below you get the ball and pass it around, like it's genuinely not uncommon to see the centre-backs both invert into midfield and then Posh and the left-back fill into the the the, the first line uh, with the where the both centre-backs should be. And it is, it, it is so fun to watch because even explaining it like that, it doesn't do it justice, just how fluid this is. Uh, like Even when you get into the second phase, there's points where Calafiori, the left centre-back, like he'll push beyond Freuler into like almost like an advanced-ish midfield position to receive the ball. Basically, it seems what Motta wants to encourage is just complete freedom, um, positionally what to do as long as that two-free line is filled, and uh, it does work because it does offer a really good progression. Uh, Bologna rarely lose the ball from the back; they're like strongly press resistant. I'd say getting there and I guess the other aspect of this is is where you're when you're wondering about you know where are the other players like the front line and stuff uh belong is like one of the other options I've noted is to just go long and we'll talk about Xerxes later but he's quite useful for this and like while you're maintaining this sort of five at the uh at the back pretty much as they're building out uh, it's not uncommon to see like both wingers the striker uh, Lewis Ferguson the attacking midfielder and Moro, the other midfielder, all pushing towards the halfway line. So Bologna can just pelt it long. Uh, this is what they did against Roma recently. Um, to great effect, they baited the Roma press, lured them forward and left their men higher so they could just create this massive gap in midfield to exploit uh, by chipping over it. Uh, but yeah, I think I've built a strong picture there. Uh, Farron has his hand up. Yeah, I mean, um, really good explanation. And... I just want to add on to all the things you said um, while coming from the opposite side of why they do what they do. And I think one really big aim of Mota in general or the team in general is to have good central progression. And they want to progress centrally. Now, this is important because we've seen a lot of teams who aren't that bothered with this, right? It isn't a tenet for them. It isn't a rule. They don't mind progressing wide. And Bologna also have some wide progressions, but largely speaking, their aim is they want central progression. Um, like this is, for example, things that currently Eric Ten Hag and Mikel Arteta are getting flack for, uh, that their central progression is weak and they're either relying very heavily on the wide rotations or relying very heavily on going long to um, an attacking midfielder or a striker or a winger bypassing central progression. And it's very clear Mota does not want to do any of those things. He wants heavy, heavy emphasis on central progression. And to make that happen, he has these various rotations that open central passing lanes. So I think that is the aim of these movements. And as you 
very well pointed out they have this 2 3 build up shape or a 4 1 build up shape depending on how you're positioning the full backs um but basically a lot of their rotations are one is the center back uh, drifting into midfield so that a passing lane opens up from full back to center back or full back to a midfielder and it takes away a striker along uh, that is the important part here when they make those rotations the striker who is marking lot of teams press in a 4-2-4 or a 4-4-2 right and there are two strikers marking and one of these center backs takes away the striker and opens up a passing lane another rotation they do is when one of the midfielders drifts wide so you'll often see um, a midfielder who's supposed to be in a number 6 or a number frawler often does this they're supposed to be in the number 6 or a number 8 area and they drift as wide to the wing and they pull a midfielder with them and then there's this massive gap in the center where a center back can either dribble through or pass through and then they also have the kind of forwards who enable this so zerksi is a very good example i know we'll talk about him later but when a midfielder goes wide zerksi drops in like an attacking midfielder back to goal and he's able to receive from the center backs so a lot of these variations are to open those central passing lanes and not go into the so the players have multiple options they very rarely go into the oh this is not working let's just punt it long or let's just go to the full back or winger and try to do a triangle there or a take on there and pro- progress that way they don't succumb to these pressures because mota has arranged so many options for them to keep finding the pass to progress centrally so i think i think that's the from uh, when i look at them i feel like that's the tenet or the rule that is established that you know keep moving players around so that those passing lanes keep opening up okay so both of you have your hands up very nice let's was, go to I'm the gonna, my, okay, my let's go to Alex. my point was just more i just wanted to add on like another rotation that i've picked up and the last game i watched which i found really interesting was i saw Xerxes kind of moving like into open out central progression like the wingers we haven't spoken about much here the wingers tend to stay wide no matter what except when Xerxes sometimes he'll pull wide to like on the same vertical line as him like literally just ahead and that's the point the wingers start moving inside because Xerxes move wide it just creates this massive central space so again like even though it's a, it feels like an emphasis in a wide area it is unlocking that central zone okay i'm done neil's turn yeah i think um you know what do you guys you guys brilliantly illustrated what they do i think a key point to keep in mind when we're discussing this is the context of the league they play in so in seria i think especially compared to all the other you know top 5 leagues there's a, a much higher proportion of player oriented defensive structures uh, blocks or whatever um, we see that you know right from juventus in inter to like torino um every, and everyone seems to go for a fully player oriented um, defensive structure so or we often see with back three teams especially such as Juventus Inter Torino is uh, they'll just leave the three center backs back there the wing backs will be sort of positioned in a way where they can jump to press the opposition full back or wing back whoever it is and then there's player closer player marking in midfield and you know the front two against the opposition's two center backs or whatever so w- with that in mind i think this the whole their whole system is especially effective in seria because of just how much player marking there is and so when you talk about all these rotations like a center back moving into midfield that completely messes things up for the opponent because what do you do 
if the striker back, tracks back you're opening a passing lane if you don't track back you're leaving you you leave the player free and you know, you can apply the same for whatever midfielder pulling wide zexy pulling wide whatever so i think that's that's a very important thing to keep in mind um to yeah, understand I mean, why it's I so just, effective i just wanted to add i mean very good point and i think the roma game was a good example because roma are very very high on the man marking thing and it was just really easy to pull them apart i mean um, el sharawi would be on a center back they'd take him away and then they'd have a passing lane the midfielders would mark the midfield three like a three on three and they would go wide and they'd have a passing lane so they did that so many times and they cut through roma multiple times i mean they they won that game easily so i mean yeah it's a really good point and most of the serie a teams are like that yep and i guess we should also uh, move on because as you said the, their build up is by far the most interesting thing but sometimes obviously they, they do have to break down um high blocks as uh, sorry deeper blocks as well higher up the pitch and in that case i think they they tend to shift to more of a 325 type shape um because the, the generally the right back who's uh, mostly posh stays sort of deep and a bit narrow to create sort of it's it's more of a triangular back three pretty well spread as well um, but the the left back will definitely push up often going sort of infield and into like the half space type area because as you guys said the wingers will always stay wide um and so that creates a sort of a 325 type shape um with uh almost like a pentagon type of shape in the base the, the 32 base um where you have those two you know t- like t- technically wide center backs in positions where they can play passes out wide or inside and of course you've got the, the double pivot midfielders as well who can help sort of play more incisive passes so i think there as well they are sort of set up in a way where they can break down teams uh, or break through uh, blocks incisively and then of course they have the attacking quality in the likes of Zexe uh, Orsolini Ferguson who we'll all discuss um who can you know make a make things happen in the final third but i think this also reminds me of another thing uh, about mata that i came across recently i don't remember what exactly the question was but he was asked i think this was around the time of the club world cup final when there was obviously a lot of talk about positionism and relationism and all, and all that and you know, player freedom and blah 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 um and he was asked something along those lines and basically what he said is that he is definitely an advocate for giving players a good deal of freedom but the point he made which i quite liked was that now obviously the, the the argument in favor of freedom is that the players are free to sort of express themselves and therefore you know unlock their best potential but the point that mata made was that it's that's not entirely true because if if everyone has complete freedom and if it's like complete chaos people going all over the place then actually that might also limit many players in many ways so what he said is that he wants his players to sort of be free and play how they want but he also wants to give them a a, a good a, a strong enough framework where it isn't complete chaos where they still have control of the game and 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 so you know the players can use that freedom from there to build on that and you know to create chances score goals whatever i think that's very much the principle you'll find when you're watching bologna against lower blocks because obviously as we said there's a lot of rotations um and while they're not i think the distinction to make here is they're not what we would call uh, automatisms which are sort of uh, the first name that comes to mind then is antonio conte because those are like hard and fast right? 
it's like if 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 the if the wide center back goes forward then you know the the wing back has to drop back and it's 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 all it's almost all pre-programmed like every single move and even every single pass is pre-programmed in those this is not that these are just a few rotations with principles but then it's up to the players what they want to do and how they want to do it so if the if the center back steps into midfield it's not required that the full back comes in and you have to pass to the full back if there's an open passing lane into even the striker you can do that so th- while there is obviously an element of um like instructions which are required when you're doing these sort of rotations because if if your center back stepping into midfield and if your full backs are all wide then the keeper is alone at the back that's not good uh, but the, but then there's also a good deal of freedom for the players to assess the situation and play you know make their own decisions basically so i think that's an interesting balance you'll find uh when uh, bologna and uh, are playing under motta so yeah that's i think that's all i've got so unless you guys have anything to add about their possession play let's talk about their defending because actually i mean on paper the first thing that uh, sort of sticks out when you look at bologna stats and numbers is their defensive numbers because they are i think they're top 3 in the league uh, in terms of defense uh, defensive numbers xga so i mean execution wise they're even more impressive in that respect so i guess it's worth talking about what they do pretty interesting in in this aspect too because they tend to set out quite high up the pitch in the opposition half um and the, the, again that shape isn't necessarily fixed but it's generally like a 4231 or maybe a 433 depending on you know how the opposition are setting up they when possible especially against you know three player midfields they'll generally tend to be player oriented and and they do tend to press in the sense that you know zex they will go chase the ball and they have a pretty low ppda i think it's also in like the lowest five in the league so you know quite high in that respect but they gen- they generate very few low turn uh, sorry high turnovers like they're in the sort of lower half uh, of of the league in in that respect and i mean yeah like at at surface level that looks like you know it's not a good press because you're you're pressing you're you know get, getting all the ppda but you're not getting turnovers so you know you're not doing well but i think that's sort of by design because i don't think bologna's press is necessarily to win the ball back but it's more to restrict the opposition and pin them in um and then almost sort of wait for like wait for a mistake for the opposition from the opposition to then get the ball back and maybe that may involve them kicking it long and winning it there um but i think it's it's sort of a balance between like a very n- not being a very intense press but still being high up the pitch and so what what you'll see often is that it's just sort of zexe chasing the ball maybe supported by a winger but the, but the rest of the players are holding their position and ensuring that they can't get played through so it's 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 almost like restricting the opposition in and around their box or third um and i guess that's the basic principle but i see both of you have your hands up so either i have said something that'd be wrong or you have something to add to what i'm saying i think varun's hand was up first uh yes i was first yes <laughs> <laughs> okay anyway um i kind of largely agree with what you're saying how i view their out of possession setup is they're very zonal um higher up the pitch and they're actually very man oriented deeper in the pitch 
um which is very interesting because it's pretty different from how a lot of other teams set up like usually the top team set up will be a very intense man to man press higher up where you know a front 3 or a front 4 are almost marking the back four or back three of the opposition man to man and then they get a bit more zonal so that their defenders are not you know uh, pulled apart uh, in deeper areas but bologna are the opposite i and that kind of correlates to your ppda point because the front three especially zerxi and the wingers they are largely in their zones they operate in their zones and they just shift vertically or horizontally slightly they almost have like dedicated rectangles and they take care of those zones those zones because mota doesn't want any of those places to be um Uh, to be vacant so that an opponent can play through in that sense he doesn't want to make the same mistake that he often forces the opponents to do by pulling them apart because they have a man oriented structure he doesn't want to make that mistake so rarely do you see zerxi being pulled away by a center back or a winger being pulled away by a full back when they invert or when they rotate you know uh, mota wants to avoid that and he feels a lot of teams uh, are doing that so they play very zonal um, and that's also the reason why their their press or their counter press is not super intense or super geared at winning the ball and immediately countering that is not the intention the intention is to protect the zones the press intention is to establish a bit of zonal dominance so that they can't be played through and i think this is an important thing to note because there are two objectives to any high press um, one is either to win the ball and you know counter quickly the other is to not let the opponent build up and lot of managers see one as an objective more than the other like for for example i can give uh, eric tenag's example where his press is to counter press and create opportunities he keeps giving stats of the turnovers generated or the shots uh, generated from the turnovers but it's not really geared to stop the opposition from you know playing through because if if that was happening then we wouldn't be so bad but i mean that's the opposite of what mota wants in mota's case he isn't really bothered about creating turnovers but he is a lot more bothered about defending the zones and then as you go deeper his defenders actually have a very man oriented approach they follow the strikers they follow the wingers and they uh, they track runners in a very intense way because mota doesn't want any runners escaping behind him or them going deep and receiving so the defenders and the full backs follow their men so it's just um, very different from the usual approach and that what you said is very true they press in a 433 or a 4231 sometimes the midfield inverts depending on the opposition midfield but uh, very interesting difference from top team setups i think this is one area where mota's out of possession approach is very good and that's the reason for their less goals conceded but it doesn't as as of now look like a super top team approach in that sense yeah over to you alex thank you for your patience i see you guys are just commenting oh he got united and he does this every episode okay fine you can talk now <laughs> It's all right. I got karma. While you were talking, I repositioned and almost smashed my kneecap on my desk. So, um, if you hear background noise, it's me moaning and getting more comfortable. Ow! Uh, uh, but what I was going to say originally was more basic, quite similar to what you were going to say, Varun. I kind of disagreed a little. Uh, well, actually, no, I don't think I disagree with um, Neil. I think, I think they start. Bologna would start in a four-two-three-one, like a high press, but I think. Just from what I've seen, 
and maybe this is a result of the teams they've played, which have been uh, Genoa, Roma and Atalanta, the games I've watched in depth. And um, I think I think those sides wanted to play out, definitely Roma and Atalanta wanted to play out of a midfield pivot. So what Bologna end up uh, doing, and this is where we touch into their weakness, I think, in the press, is um, they'll end up pressing like, more like a 4-1-4-1, where uh, Morrow uh, pushes up um, to join Ferguson to go man-to-man with the pivot. And then, as Ryan kind of says, the rest is a bit more zonal. Uh, but what I've noticed uh, can happen is if if the opposition are able to play through their press, they basically just have to get past Freuler in midfield and then it's the defence left. So they can get very, they can leave their midfield really isolated. Um, even more so when Freuler, like against Roma, Freuler had a bit more of a sort of, I, 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 I don't know how to describe his GTO because it, it wasn't always man-oriented, but if Lorenzo Pellegrini did drift wide, Freuler was very happy to go, okay, I'm going to leave my central zone and just follow him. And so sometimes they just have no midfield shell behind. Uh, it is definitely very interesting, though. I think both of you had a lot of uh, strong points. But, I want, yeah, I wanted to throw that out there, how I guess when I, in my notes, I have much more down as like a, a 4-1-4-1, um, a 4-1-4-1 press at times. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's I think, spot on. Because, as I said, they do, I mean, it's obviously defensive structure, especially are very sort of opposition-based. And yeah, so it's I guess like their their basic idea is to start in or like on paper a four to three one, but as you say, if the opposition are using you know two air defensive midfielders, then they they'll sort of player mark them with Moro jumping. I think the the sort of point you make to maybe illustrate that further, the thing with that is that those two, so Moro and Ferguson, the number ten, are very closely player marking the opposition double pivot. So like if they're on the you know like inside their third then those two will also follow them there so often what you'll have is the whole of the front five the striker two wingers and the two sort of midfield markers all in the opposition third so that basically is what will leave um, all that space behind in midfield and I think the, the key there I actually don't think this that's like I mean I wouldn't say that's necessarily a weakness because I can see why he, they're doing it and I can see why how it can work too. So what you need for that to work is you need your centre-backs to be the, the types of players who are very willing to sort of tra- jump and track the opposition strikers deep and contest duels. Players like a Christian Romero, for example, or from Bologna. I was going to say the Ange Postacoglu setup. Yeah, you know, exactly. A bit like there. So, so from the Bologna squad, the first name that springs to my mind is uh, John Lukumi, but even like Calafiori and I think all the centre-backs actually uh, do a very good job of that. So, they're strong in duels. They can step up, you know, uh, keep pressure on the opposition forwards behind their back. And if it's like an aerial duel, they can win it. They can put their foot in. So, as long as you have that, I think this is... Uh, I mean, it works. Clearly, it's working because... They have like the third lowest XG in the league behind um, Inter and Juventus. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 obviously very squad based. Like, if you don't have this profile of centre backs in your squad, you can't do it. Um, but since Bologna have it, fair enough. And in the future, maybe where if Mota goes elsewhere, I think this will be a key aspect for that out of that team's out of possession stuff because they will need this type of centre back in order to execute. So. I think that that's that's maybe um, 
how i see it yeah i mean anyway, just to add uh, wrap up one more uh, the point i was making about their turnovers them not setting up in a way to generate turnovers right so i was just checking the stats after i made that point they have 14 shot ending turnovers this season which is the fourth lowest in the league and only salentana verona monza and torino have lesser um torino have the same and the other three have lesser so they are and they have only one goal um from that uh, from those many turnovers so yeah i mean they're not really set up to you know steal and counter that's not the aim of the press just wanted to close that yep that's right uh, alex i imagine or assume that's yeah your previous hand all right um uh, that is all sorted just a quick note on some of their stats as i said they are third in the league in terms of xga however their attacking numbers don't look so good um they are uh, around 9th 10th um in terms of xg around monza and fiorentina so not quite up there so it's definitely their defense which has um taken them to fifth in the table and also fifth on expected points and their expected goal difference so definitely very impressive built on that uh, very strong defense it seems that they definitely have the ability to um you know challenge for europe and yeah a couple other stats i, I think we you know peppered them in throughout but another interesting point that i found is that they have the third most passes um in in the league so that's i mean i think that just goes to show how sort of pass oriented their build up is because that there's very little sort of carry out or you know um or obviously punt i mean they can punt it long but that's not that's like the last option so, but otherwise it's just pass 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 find you know make have the rotations find the open passing lane and pass through it so i think that illustrates that quite simply alex any further points to add uh yeah just one uh one stat i found interesting they have the 15th um they take their shots from the 15th furthest distance 18.4 yards so that's outside of the box so not only i think is that indicative of uh things you spoke about they struggle in attack to create quickly chances i also think that's um indicative of a lack of aerial threat uh because teams that cross a lot like west ham um they get you know headers closer to goals which bumps up their average shot distance when you think of bologna um i guess we haven't fully described the lineup but you have zerxi up front who is pretty solid in the air then you tend to have like salamakas uh and ndoy on the wings who are both a bit smaller particularly salamakas in midfield ferguson moro froyla that all under 6 foot i think um so then you're really relying on the center back so open play crosses um i think aren't belong yet like are the strong tactic of belongers arsenal which i think leads to that um their low non penalty expected goals and their fur uh, their far shot distance that's a very very good um good good chart because they're Alex, second Alex 3.0 baby <laughs> <laughs> they're second lowest in, i just checked the second lowest in terms of crosses attempted um behind only frosinone but what i did find interesting is so obviously they have that you know distant average shot distance uh, npxg per shot is also pretty low 0.09 xg tally is also not very high and yet they are just about underperforming their xg by like 1.3 so yeah i mean even i mean their attack clearly is not the best part of their um, side but it this is not a case of 
having a strong defense and then a crazy overperforming attack which has taken Bologna high sort of like Union Berlin last season it's not that it i mean they are high up the table on merit overall so i think that's the main takeaway from uh, their stats now let's get into that over um, and had one more thing yeah, yeah i just had one thing to add on this i mean really good spot uh, alex and just another thing to add if you see their npxg per shot which basically largely correlates to shot quality right shot quality in terms of how close close you are to goal among their regular uh, starters the highest are lewis ferguson and joshua zerksi and both of them just have 0.10 and just to give you an idea 0.10 is pretty low when it comes to shot quality like all your uh, poachers like erling haaland and lewandowski over the years they routinely have 0.16 0. 0.17 0. 0.18 you know 0.15 in general is like decent for a striker so it almost feels like the and zerksi's profile and we'll get into it uh, him and lewis ferguson are almost taking those distant shots from those number 10 areas right point 1 is usually something you'd expect from an advanced midfielder or a number 10 uh, who now and then takes a few long shots and maybe gets into poaching positions rarely and i think that is indicative of one of uh, their issues they while they have very good first phase and second phase patterns in the third phase they are really not um creating a lot of those high quality shots you know like for example all the big teams in the world like city or um, you know all the good possession teams they get into those half spaces and then they have those cutbacks you know to the penalty area and then you know anyone it can it doesn't have to be the striker anyone is in like a very good poaching position or a very good edge of the box around the penalty area shooting position Bologna don't have too many of those kind of formats and one of the reasons i think is Zerksi's profile not being that way but i also think as a team they don't really look to go that deep and create so i don't know if this changes when Motta gets a better team or if he gets one or two better attackers but that definitely is something they can improve on yep i think that rounds us off for the the whole overall team tactic stuff now let's get into their players and we have to start with Joshua Zerksi having I guess this is the best season of his senior career so far. Um seven goals to assists in the league at about the halfway stage of the season. He's a very interesting player because he came through at Bayern Munich. Um you know, really highly rated. Um uh, did well did, I mean fair well, well enough in for the second team but never really made it with the first team. Spent about I think a season on loan at Anderlecht and did pretty well there under I think it was company. um did quite well but then again back at bayern couldn't get caught uh, i mean he 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 didn't cut it really so then he was um picked up by bologna and yeah i i think this is as i said this is definitely his best season he he has shown glimpses before but he'd never even at bologna in his uh, well last season he didn't really look you know as good as you know people he was sort of hyped up to be but this season he's really put everything together and he's having obviously a great season in terms of you know output goals but just all round he's just a fantastic well-rounded striker he does everything almost that you can want from a striker so who wants to go first cuz i think all of us are definitely going to talk about him who wants to get us started i'll go first uh, because i think a lot of the points i have on him are a little more basic and i think alex 3.0 will come with the depth after me so yeah i mean i really like zerksi a lot uh, it's a funny story um when i used to play football manager 
and I often play a four three. Let me guess, you signed him for Manchester United. I sign him everywhere. I sign him for <laughs> all the teams. I mean, so my tactics usually a four three three with a false nine or a deep lying forward, right? Who can also play back to goal and play the wingers in. You know, that's that's the kind of striker I look for. And Xerxes always fit the bill. So. After that, I mean, I was like, I have to check this guy out in real life. And I saw him for Bayern Munich and Anderlecht. And I've always been impressed. And I do think even now, even when he's playing as a striker and having a good season, there needs to be an understanding that he is not your typical striker. Um, I mean, at his peak, if he improves his game even more, I would liken him to someone like Harry Kane. And although Harry Kane has obviously some good poaching and shooting abilities. He's not really a Erling Haaland type, right? Even now for Bayern Munich, Harry Kane most of the times is playing like half like a number 10. He drops into those number 10 areas beside Musiala and plays in Sane or Gnabry or Koeman. And it works really well. And then he obviously gets in later and shoots himself too. So I think Xerxes is that kind of player. You can't really look at him as a target man or a poacher. And you have to understand that he will do those things where he drops. He's really good at them. He's really good at link play. He's really good at playing others. And he has a really nice through ball. He has very good close control to receive, turn and play a winger in. And you have to maximize those abilities. I do think eventually you either need very good attacking wingers or maybe even he can even play beside a striker in a front two. You know, you can have a the way Inter have a Lotharo Thuram kind of partnership, you can have a Xerxes Pocher kind of partnership. So I do think that also adds to the previous point that we mentioned that he's not your Pocher type. And I think it works for Mota because the system is nice. But long term, I think those are the things Xerxes will have to improve a bit on. But his all-round play, right? His pressing, his close control, his passing... That is just fabulous. He's like really nice to watch and I'm really happy he's having a good season and um, hope he improves more. Alex, over to you. I, I mean, just before I start, my headphone cut out uh, literally just before you said loads of things that he needs to improve on. So just say them again, just so I don't either contradict you or walk over what you were saying. <laughs> I just said um, close control, passing and defending. Yeah, these are the really good United need to improve in a few areas, including, um, what was it, <laughs> passing something and defending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... That's interesting. Do you think, do you think he needs to improve his close control? Okay. No, no, no. I think he's good at these things. Oh, right. I, yeah. I, that's what I say. I think, I think I he needs to say... improve his poaching and his target play and his runs into the box. Basically, focal point, target man, poacher kind of stuff. But all his number 10-ish stuff are good. That, that's, that was my... Uh, yeah, I, that is that is also my summary. I, I really want to outline the fact that he's got a golden first touch, especially because I don't know about you guys. I feel the stereotype that's been brought up around him. Um, I I I don't. I'm not sure there's any founding reality, but whenever I've heard anyone speak about him, I've always seen Bayern fans complaining about his attitude. And I guess the knock-on effect of that, you think, is a player who doesn't want to do the so-called dirty work and like link play. I, you know, in the time I've been watching him, um, I've yet to see him like, I, I I think like nine times out of 10, he brings down a high ball or like a direct um, ball, like within one touch and it's golden and he immediately moves it off. Like, he's got such an, a, a brilliant first touch that I really, really like. And I think that is his number one selling point. Like he clearly is a strong target man. 
Um, and we spoke about I spoke earlier how he like he can drift wide as well. I think he does do a really good tactical role. Um, he seems quite aware, uh, like at least in the, the number ten spaces. And yet yeah, to boost Baron's point, I think the areas he does have to improve uh, are poaching and like an extension of that. I think this is kind of a rough note. I've not even put it in my doc. It's just in more my my notebook. I feel like his movement could improve. Um, there's been a couple of situations where crosses are about to come in the box and I think other strikers would like mix their runs up more like they, they'd fake to go outside the defender then run inside Xerxes is a bit more predictable uh, I haven't really seen him get in front of his marker too much so maybe that's a point where he could start but um, yeah very excited about him yeah and I think yeah pretty much agree with what you guys say I think the way I like to see him at Bologna is almost like like a central attacking hub because basically you know from the back five the you know three two or two three whatever put the ball in his direction as you say alex he's got a magical first touch he'll control it somehow he'll find a way to turn and then he'll pick a pass he'll either he'll go for it himself or generally he'll you know pick out a winger or a midfield or someone um so as far as like link up play goes um absolutely absolutely top class i i I just wonder about sort of where, I mean, in in terms of areas to improve. I could, I mean, obviously, it's quite clear he needs to improve sort of more the traditional striker stuff that that you guys mentioned. But also, I do wonder how much he can do that. I mean, one obviously just because of you know his like the natural sort of player he is, but also because of the role he plays, because he drops deep and links up and drifts wide and all that. I mean, obviously, you can't expect him to have Erling Haaland numbers in the box, you know, in terms of like touches in the box or, you know, XG per shot, NPXG, whatever. Um, so actually, I think, I mean, I don't disagree, by the way. That's definitely, I mean, he could still be better. He won't be that good, but he can definitely improve some uh, uh, way in that. But I think maybe more importantly for him, he, he maybe like for his sort of style of play, it might just be better to improve like just generally his shooting. Because obviously he does have seven goals this season, and, and that's pretty good. But if you look at the numbers, it's, I mean, he like if we if we think about Harry Kane, right? Because I think that's the best comparison we have for him. The reason Harry Kane is such a good goal scorer is because he is such a deadly shooter from basically anywhere. Obviously, he can get it in the box, and he does that very well too. And end of crosses or tap ins, but even like Harry Kane on the edge of the box is a killer. Um, and I think uh, his ball striking is incredible and he's so accurate. I think that's where Zegs is lacking. His ball striking is pretty good, but his accuracy isn't quite up to the mark. And a very basic stat to, to illustrate that, he's taken 43 shots in the league this season and he's only hit the target with 18 of them. Um, so, you know, something as basic as just hitting the target more often, I think that makes... Pos- I mean, in this profile, I think that makes him a more threatening goal scorer than maybe box movement, which also, of course, he can improve. Um, so yeah, that's that's and that and the other thing is, I would disagree maybe Warren with what you said about him possibly working in a front two, because I'm not so sure. Because I think the thing he needs really is that you know open central space to drop into or drift into, and I don't know maybe in a front two he might be a bit limited with that. Although he might also be able to play the Lautaro role. Um, to a good degree, but I think I think in a front two, some of his qualities do get a bit limited. So I don't think he'd be best off that way. But probably could um, do a job, right? I think that's enough about Zexe. Uh, shall we move on to our next player, 
who is mm-hmm. Ricardo Calafiore. What have you seen from him, Alex? Yeah, we'll keep it short from now, I guess. Um, Calafiore, I'm, I've tweeted about him quite a bit, or I guess posted about him. Um, I, yeah, I'm shocked there's not more hype. Uh, so he's 21 years old. He's a left-footed left centre-back. Um, he's pretty tall. I think he's like six foot two-ish. He's very physically strong, wins all his duels, and is really aggressive coming out. But going all the way back to what we were talking about in possession, Calafiore is the diamond, I think, in this system. Like, he's so comfortable getting into midfield. And like the thing that I've noted about him is, I guess, when Bologna build out and they've done their rotation, Calafiore's in midfield, maybe Bukem is in there as well. Um, if they lose the ball or pass back to the goalkeeper, like they, they start moving backwards. Um, Calafuri maintains his position in midfield. That's not a signal for him to go back home, if, if that makes sense. Uh, which I just really like. I think it shows how uh, comfortable he is in midfield. He's a rare profile. I also like his awareness. So there was a nice little bit of um, this is a nice scenario against, I think it was Atalanta. Uh, basically, he's moved into midfield to receive the ball from the left-back. The left-back actually passes down the wing to the left-winger. Calafiore stays in midfield. He just advances. Um, and then, like, I think he, he goes to receive the pass again, but then realises there's a better pass on. So he moves even further forward to open up the pass inside to Froiler, and then Froiler moves it to him. I might have it slightly wrong, but it's basically to that extent where he, like, has the awareness to open up, like, two passing lanes and by the time he finally does receive the ball, he's like at the number 10 position and he starts driving towards goal. And uh, again, here's the centre-back. So he loses the ball by trying to cut past a defender and taking a bit of a heavy touch uh, in and around the box. But yeah, really rare profile already being a left-footed left centre-back who's good on the ball. Even rarer that he basically does a John Stones role almost or the Sandra Martinez role, uh, depending on which preference you have there. Um, yeah, Ricardo Calafiore. Expect a lot more from him. Absolutely. I think that's a great description of him. For my part, I'll just say I love a centre-back who can step into midfield. So he gets my seal of approval. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, next up, we have got Lewis Ferguson. Warren, would you like to speak about him or shall I? Um... You can start off. I'll add after that. All right. Uh, so a bit about Ferguson. He is, I think he has been breaking some records for a Scottish player in Serie A, which is, of course, a fairly niche play. Uh, but uh, yeah, he came through at uh, Aberdeen in Scotland and he joined Bologna in 2022 summer. And since then, he's basically held down the number 10 position. And yeah, he's, he's also very intelligent. Maybe can go a bit underrated, I guess. Because he definitely, especially with the way Zegse plays, he really helps him sort of do his thing, basically. So he's 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 really intelligent, I think, positionally in terms of the, the the pockets he moves or the areas he moves into and how he allows the space to be there for Xerxes to work with. And he can, of course, drop back and sort of help his side build out um, or go higher up the pitch and, you know, pull opposition midfielders away and create space for others. So I think that is, you know, the standout aspect of his game for me. He's a very good and secure passer when he's deeper because often with number 10s you get you know i mean high risk type of passers who can create a lot but also will often lose the ball ferguson isn't that sort of player he's more of a secure passer can keep things ticking you know of course does create a bit but 
you won't find those magical sort of Kevin De Bruyne-esque passes from him. But he's also, he's got really good, you know, close control. So he can receive very well, get on the half turn, dribble past people. Again, he doesn't necessarily seek seek that out. Like he won't necessarily run at someone and get past them. But if there is pressure, he will evade it um, very, very well. And he's also, he's a, a very handy and intelligent player out of possession as well in, in, in sort of how he helps Bologna's press by either marking opposite midfielders or closing channels. So, yeah, I think he's a, he's a nice, um, tidy number 10. Anything to add, Varun? Yeah, I mean, you covered a lot of it. I actually look at him as like a um, secure deep-lying playmaker who's playing as number 10. Um, he's not your Ozil, Bruno, Kevin De Bruyne kind of number 10. But he's a very, very link-up oriented number 10, a very secure number 10. I mean, if you look at all his passing stats, right, when it comes to pass attempts, he's 99 percentile in Syria. Pass completion, he's 99 percentile in Syria. All his passing stats, you know, um, until you get to the aggressive ones, when you get to key passes, expected assists, those kind of things, he he's on the low, bottom 25 percentile. So it's actually really funny. If you look at his stats, they scream of almost like... Um, like a retention-based, you know, central midfielder. But he plays number 10, mainly because his movements are very good. And this is something he revealed in an interview recently, where Mota... So I think he's played in center midfield in previous roles. But Mota said, you'll play number 10, and you will make those runs to disrupt the opposition, because you're really good at that. And that is something he has not done in his career before, and he's doing now. And he's pretty good at that. The where to move, where to make runs, when to switch with others, those kind of things he's very smart at. He has a good IQ for it. So... Yeah, very unique and very different profile. A number 10 who isn't great at creativity, um, very expansive passing range or playing a lot of through balls and playing others in, but very good at retention, very good at off the ball movement and pretty good defensively. He has very good uh, pressing and defending. So very different role to a typical number 10, but it works for Bologna in a nice way. Yeah, I think that's a lovely description. So that's, uh, sorry, that's Ferguson sorted. Last player we've got is Ricardo Orsolini, who I find sometimes a little bit hard to maybe assess. Uh, So he hasn't played a great deal this season. I think it's just nine starts he's got and about less than 900 minutes in the league. But he's, he's very much a sort of showreel type of player because when he gets on the ball, you know, you want to be watching him. He's, he plays as a right winger, he's left-footed, so obviously he cuts inside a lot, but he's got really good close control. He takes you know very quick touches while dribbling. I think that's one of his main sort of strengths, which is what makes him a great dribbler, is just the fact that he takes lots of quick touches, and then he can sort of change direction very quickly with the defender always on their toes. Um, and obviously, he definitely likes to drop inside, um, as most left-footed right wingers do. And then he loves a shot after cutting in. Um, he's a pretty good finisher. I mean, or and finisher isn't necessarily the, the right word. I guess he's 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 a very good shooter when he cuts inside um, and lets fly. He obviously doesn't have get a lot of sort of high quality uh, chances, but his his ball striking with his left foot is very good. His accuracy is pretty good too. So I think actually Zegze can learn a lot from Orsolini in this respect. Because if Zegze adds this to his game, 
then he's a really scary striker. Um, but yeah, Orsolini, uh, for his part, is a very good sort of goal threat to have um, from the wing. He can hold the width initially, trouble the opposition fullback, and then cut inside. Obviously, he can you know create some chances by going outside, crossing. But he, I think he definitely likes to cut inside uh, and 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 shoot. Um, and yeah, he, he's, he's, he's an important player for the way Bologna want to play because with Zegs are dropping off so much and they're not necessarily being a box threat, you do need these type of sort of short takers cutting inside. So I think Orsolini has been an important player and he's very fun to watch. So yeah, I mean, if you, if you, if you can find some high, like a highlight reel of him, I would say grab the popcorn, tune in. All right, but I think that rounds us off for all our discussion and analysis as always though we will end the episode with a few predictions i think there's two things worth predicting here um one is where bologna will finish in Serie A this season of course but two also is where mata i mean let's not say where he will go next but where he should go next um you know where we think he would be best off now, of course this is his second season um at bologna and he finished what ninth um, last season. Definitely, you know, this has definitely taken some time to come. Obviously, been helped a lot in the summer with recruitment and you know building a squad that suits the way he wants to play uh, and his style, such as the centre backs, for example. So, with that in mind, do you guys have any shouts for where Mata should go next, and maybe also when? Um, he should go to Napoli if Napoli have brains and do it as fast <laughs> as possible. Uh, so that's that's a fair shout. I think, that's, I think that was actually your when we did Napoli. I think that was your like rogue shout when we all said Vincenzo Italiano. After watching Bologna more in detail, I'd actually say Motta over Italiano. I think he suits Napoli more. Mm, nice, Baron. Yeah, I mean Motta's contract expires in June twenty four. And he has shown no signs of renewing. And he's very heavily linked to Milan. Uh, the Napoli connection is they actually went for Mota last summer. Um, the, the president revealed that they approached Mota and Mota said he's not following Spalletti's footsteps. Um, I think he'll be a lot more open to follow the whatever the footsteps are <laughs> this year. So I hope that's not an issue. I also agree. I mean, I think in the Napoli episode, all three of us were very open to the idea of it. He was in all of our top two or three options. And I think that's a very good shout. Milan is also a pretty good shout. To be honest, when we covered Pioli's tactics of Milan, a lot of their build-up emphasis and rotations and how they like to play, there is a nice uh, there is a nice overlap with what Mota likes to do as well. So the team, and they have a lot of good young midfielders and young defenders. So their team is pretty geared to execute Mota's tactics. I think any of Milan or Napoli would be great. And I don't think he's going to stay in Bologna much longer. As I said, his contract expires June 24. I'm 90% sure in the coming summer, one of Milan and Napoli are going to snap him up. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I I think, you know, I mean, while I was thinking about this before, I was also leaning towards Milan a bit because of the squad mainly and because of how Pioli sort of sets the team up. But also, I, I mean, like realistically, I, I'm not sure how likely it is that Pioli will leave because he's, I mean, in the circumstances, I think he's doing a decent job. So, Napoli's apparently, apparently Zlatan wants Mota very strongly. And in the yeah, new I mean, setup, Zlatan has a big say, apparently. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I would definitely be for you know removing purely if Mota's coming in. Like, I think it's it's definitely a good replacement to make. But yeah, I'm not sure if they will. But if if I mean, if they are sort of open to it, then I think they should definitely do it. And Napoli as well, yeah, a good because actually, you know, the first sort of like if I think about it right now, the first team that came to my mind, and I'm not saying it's the best option because Milan Napoli definitely are better. I think Roma might actually be really interesting because, I mean, he basically needs to do uh, almost uh, a full he, rebuild. He's there. beyond Roma. I mean, he's already <laughs> beyond Roma. They, they, he's operating at a level where he deserves better than Roma. I mean, it's just almost like a downgrade, <laughs> or at, at the very least, a sideways move, according to me. Yeah, I think no. I think um, the the way that works is financially only, um, because they were they were. I mean, they're paying Mourinho a lot, so by the and they have a very high wage bill. So by that logic, I imagine they will pay him well, um, and obviously they have ambitions, greater ambitions than Bologna. Um, so yeah, I would say, I mean, I would, as I said, definitely say Napoli, Milan, top two options. But if you don't get those, then I think Roma is a interesting option because yeah, Mourinho is a bit shaky now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's also a risk. Obviously, I think Mourinho's. Confirmed out as per many reports, he he's leaving for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, they they're not even offering him an extension. I think his contract yeah. also runs up. His runs out, and they're not offering anything. So it, exactly. So and it's for the reason. And the reason quoted is that they can't afford him. So I do think Roma. I mean, the way Roma <laughs> playing, my take is they're going to be doing cost cutting stuff for the next yeah, one. I mean it, it, I mean, it does sound like they need it because yeah, they've they been spending it. crazy amounts. They've spent, um, and the managers they are linked to are um, very young managers who will come for cheap. I mean, there are two three managers they are linked to. Uh, I forgot their names, but they're definitely not any of the high-profile ones. And I actually think that's what Roma are going to do. They're just going to go for some next big thing, hopefully, kind of manager. I think Mota is already a big thing for them. I mean, yeah, that's just my sense. take from the rumors. I, I, I don't know how it works, but that's the way the rumor mill is spinning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, I, I'm definitely Napoli Milan would be top two options for sure. Anyway, let's very quickly have our predictions for Bologna. This season, uh, who wants to go first? Oh, no one wants to go first. All right, I'll go first. Um, I will say, Bologna will finish. Where is the league table? Uh, okay. Um, I will say they can finish fifth. Um, maybe even fourth. I I mean, they, I think they will challenge for the Champions League potentially. I. I think Napoli are out of it. Roma not so good. Lazio not so good. Atalanta also not so good. And Fiorentina also. You know what? I'll say fourth. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna say Bologna Champions League. It's it's. I mean, it's definitely a bit of a bold shout, but uh, yeah, why not? I'd say they can do it. What about yeah, you guys? I, I don't think it's bold at all. I I think they'll get fourth as well. And I don't know. I mean, if things go well, they could even get third, because I mean, the only one I see nailed on for top two are Inter and Juve. I mean, they. I don't think uh, anything changes that drastically unless someone goes on a really bad run. But then you have Napoli, Roma, Bologna, Milan, Lazio. I don't know. In this set, <laughs> Bologna actually seem like the most consistent and 
they they definitely have enough uh, fiorentina is also there but i think bologna have enough to get fourth and they might even surprise us and get third they are out of the coppa italia so i think it's just league predictions alex uh i'm a bit more hesitant than you guys i think their weak attacks could have cost them i think they will finish like 7th or 8th um like lazio yeah lower in the table but they've won uh four in See, a row that's now that's a bold call you, you, and also Atalanta aren't in the worst form either. I think the only game they've lost in the last eight was to Bologna. So, like, it, it, it's Napoli could be the one that falls off. But, um, yeah, I think Bologna's weak attack will fail them. I don't think it'll be anything much to do with Motta. I think it's, it, they'll just kind of come down naturally. Um, it won't harm my opinion of him uh, when they finish, like, like high mid-table. That's a fair argument. They're 11th for XG. In the table, I mean, Fiorentina, Sassuolo, Lazio, Atlanta, Roma, Milan all have you know done better attacking wise. So I think that's a fair. If, if they lose Xerxes as well, like if Xerxes gets injured, then they are quite oh, yeah. finished. Yeah, 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 if something yeah, like yeah. that happens, they're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. then they're gone. <laughs> then not question. Yes. Anyway, I think that does the job for this episode. Thank you very very much, guys. Great fun to be back at it with you two again. As always, you can find all of us on Twitter. Alex is at EuroExpert underscore. Varun runs the at the Devil's DNA account. And you can find me at Shailat Neil. Of course, also you can uh, find the at GetFootballEU account, where in the bio we've linked all the country and league specific accounts, which you can uh, follow to get uh, the latest news and updates. And of course, transfer news right now uh, in the window, as well as news from AFCON and the Asian Cup. Um, from yeah, basically whatever's going on all over in the world of football. All of that will be linked in the description or the notes of this episode, depending on where you're listening. So you can find it there. If you're um, uh, if you're sort of uh, what do you call it? I forgot what do you call it. If your podcast app, uh, if that's the thing, allows it, please do rate uh, rate this episode or sorry rate the podcast and give us a five star review. And of course, feel free to share on socials as well. Thank you very much once again to everyone. Thanks for listening. Take care. We'll be back next week with another interesting episode. Bye-bye.